This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Good afternoon and welcome to the show. I'm Mira Sivasudi. Few sports have a larger following than football in Malaysia, of which the English Premier League is the most popular. This is the first year that clubs are being fined for breaching financial fair play, better known as FFP rules, meant to create a more level playing field. In the studio, studio with me to explain is probably the guru, one of the gurus himself, Chris Anderson, head of legal services from the Everton Football Club, together with Richard. We Richard Richard is a football. Um, fanatic, I would say, an Everton, av- avid Everton follower, um, and he's also partner of Richard Wee and Yip. And the, uh, you know, Richard's um, or uh, company has, or law firm has actually initiated something called the RWY Sports Law Conference, which is happening tomorrow in Kuala Lumpur. And that's the reason why Chris Anderson is here to present a paper. Welcome to the show, both of you. How are you today? Good, yes. Hi. Welcome to Malaysia. Um, Chris, how have you been so far? I know it's been a couple of hours only. Yeah, I've not been in, uh, I've only been in a few hours, but uh, yeah, it's fine. It's great. Okay. How did you get into sports law, um, Chris? Well, I, I originally started working as a mergers and acquisitions lawyer in the city of London, um, where my, my roommate was Malaysian, funnily enough. Um, and It's called karma. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> um, and uh, the firm that I was working for in London uh, at the time was doing all the legal work for Arsenal Football Club. Um, so I got in, involved in that, and, and that was really the, the sort of start of my, uh, my career in football, I mm-hmm. suppose. Right. Okay. And you've, uh, you joined Everton in, what, 19, 2014? To, yeah. I, just, I, just this year? I joined Everton this year as an internal lawyer and a member of staff, but, I, but I'd acted for them and pretty much most of the English Premier League at one time or another uh, before I joined Everton. Okay. You know, could you just go through with me for all of us who, Mm. you know, for those who follow football, great, but for for those of us who don't, right, how do we understand what's been happening on the law side for football over the years? And then obviously there was a need to come up with something called financial fair play, but what led to all of this? Yeah, well, what led to it, it was really... Uh, originated by UEFA predominantly and they are the body that organizes the the premier uh, European football competitions the, the the UEFA Champions League and the UEFA Europa League uh, and they had looked at the financial state of clubs across Europe um, and I think in a study they did in in 2009, um, they looked at 655 European clubs, uh, and more than half of them were making losses, uh, and 20% of them were what uh, UEFA called, you know, in in financial peril. Um, and so UEFA decided that they would introduce uh, regulations relating to the financial conduct of football clubs as part of the criteria for entering their competitions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and other organisations have, have, have followed, followed, um, followed that approach subsequently, um, uh, including now the, the English Premier League. Um, so the Premier League and UEFA um, set it as a condition of membership and participation in their competitions. What are factors that led to that dire financial situation? Well, different people will tell you different things, um, but in in my view, it was all very well encapsulated by a report done by uh, the UK Parliament and the, the, the Culture, Media and Sport Committee, it was called. Um, and it talked about how 
there was a very strong correlation between the amount that a club paid in wages and its its success on the pitch, or its or at least its finishing position in the league. Uh, and that idea became widely known, um, and so everyone or a lot of clubs started spending to try and increase their wage bill to try and improve their performance. But of course, in sporting competition, there's only a a certain number of, of, of clubs that can actually succeed. So it was the short-term pressures created by trying to get sporting success, um, what the, the, the parliament called chasing the dream, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Uh, how does it work? And, you know, are there penalties if rules are breached? You know, how, how does financial fair play actually, you know... Yeah, it depends. How is it implemented? Sure, it, it depends which system you're, you're you're talking about. But if you're talking about the the UEFA system, um, they do it in two ways. First of all, in order to play in a UEFA competition, you have to qualify for a license, and to get that license, you have to comply with a number of criteria, and your financial conduct is is one of those criteria. So the first step is. If you aren't being run in the right way financially, you can't get the license to then play in either of the UEFA competitions. And that's actually quite a big threat for clubs um, because, especially those clubs who might participate in the Champions League, there's a massive amount of revenue that comes from playing in the Champions League. Um, So that's step one. Step two is then when clubs have qualified and are participating in UEFA competitions they are monitored by UEFA and there are there are various checkpoints i suppose throughout the year which check their compliance with with an with an ongoing set of financial criteria and i think the most the most famous one of those is 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 what gets called the break even requirement mm-hmm. uh, which sounds quite simple um, you know your your income should meet your expenditure um, but there are some exceptions to that. The way that UEFA calculates income for financial fair play purposes is not the same as, as an accountant would, would calculate income. Equally, the way UEFA considers expenditure for financial fair play purposes is not the same, so certain items get excluded. So if you are, are spending on, on your infrastructure... Um, that can be excluded from your expenditure for fi- financial fair play calculations. Whereas if you are, um, I suppose, borrowing money and spending that money on player transfers and player wages, that will be included within your expenditure for, for financial fair play purposes. Does it apply to the BPL as well? Financial fair play, are there rules there too? Uh, there's a separate set of rules um, adopted by the English Premier League um, and they're not they're not quite as... Uh, as, as punitive in the sense that you don't get excluded from the Premier League if you if you fail to match those, um, but there are potentially uh, financial penalties, potentially points deductions, um, and they operate in a similar manner to UEFA in that uh, there's a there's a permitted level of losses, and your income and expenditure are, are assessed, and your ability to to meet your debts as a football club to other football clubs, um, but the 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 losses you're permitted are, are greater under the English Premier League rules. But then, Chris, you know, every time we have sports news reported, it's always about the transfer window and it's about people moving from one yeah. club to the other. Um, and it has everything to do with financial fair play, doesn't it? 
Well, yes, I suppose, and it depends exactly how that that operates depends on who you talk to. Um, uh, you know, a good example earlier in the week, I think the Chelsea manager Jose Mourinho uh, came out quite strongly criticising financial fair play. That's right. Um, and his view was that 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 what what was happening was essentially um, it wasn't about equalising competition. So it wasn't about introducing rules similar to, say, for example, those that exist in American football, where you have quite a turnover of the teams that, that, that can win it, uh, but more about protecting a certain number of clubs. And, uh, and I think Mr Mourinho was, uh, was uh, characteristically um, expressive about uh, his view on that. He did. He says um, the financial fair play is a contradiction, really. Um, he feels it's more traditional clubs that are beneficiaries of um, this imposed financial constraints would you agree with him there's an element that's that's definitely correct in that i mean the one thing that that the financial fair play rules would prevent is is a chelsea and a manchester city being created in the future that's right um you know they those are clubs that uh, might not have been seen as part of the traditional hierarchy of english football who attracted a, a foreign investor who uh, pumped in large amounts of money and, and, and has turned them into, into competitive teams. Uh, and, and more broadly, I mean, I, I, I live in Manchester yeah, and, and parts of Manchester around the stadium where Manchester City play have been transformed by investment from, from the owners of Manchester City. So that kind of uh, owner and that kind of investment will will not be possible under financial fair play. Mourinho also believes that the rules make it more difficult for any club looking to reach the higher echelons of the football world. I believe that's correct. Possibility. Yes. Y- yes, absolutely. Spot on. Be- because you have to you know, you have to use your your existing revenues to compete. Um and as I mentioned at the start, there's a there's a very strong correlation between your spending on squad wages and and your position in the league. Um, so in order to improve your position in the league, you have to spend money. Uh, most clubs have to spend money. Um, but they, uh, but So most clubs have to spend money to, to be able to compete. Um, but where is that money going to come from if you can only use your existing revenues? So a Chelsea of 10 years ago, their revenues were, were significantly smaller than a Manchester United and an Arsenal, who, who, who in many ways they came to came to usurp uh, and, and be more successful than in the last 10 years um, but without that injection of, of capital and that injection of money uh, that would have been very difficult to achieve. So do you think with um, you know rules like this financial fair play rules do you think Everton is in a better position to challenge the likes of Manchester United in the near future? Well I, I mean I think Everton are in a in a good position um, because of the way the club's been run over a, over a number of years um, I, I'm going to include a, a slide in my presentation to, to, to Rick tomorrow um, that was compiled by the Premier League um, which shows that uh, in 2012-13 despite having the 12th highest wage bill in the Premier League Everton finished 6th so we've consistently outperformed with, with the exception to the rule of your wages dictate your league position. So I think think, think that long-term strategy has uh, has proven to be effective. Um, and, I, and, I, and I should add, I think we've got one of the uh, the best the best managers in football. Um, 
This is your chance, Chris. <laughs> yeah. This is your chance, Richard. Go for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Richard, a big fan of uh, yeah. Everton um, Football Club. Um, Richard, you decided to um, spearhead this conference tomorrow. Um, why did you think um, sports law was something that you know you wanted to introduce to Malaysians? Well, uh, Mira, the conference is actually organised by my partner and I. Uh, for a long while, we've been advising clients uh, in sports industry. Um, and we noticed that uh, people in the sports industry have a peculiar uh, request. Their, their needs are different from our commercial clients. And uh, we also noticed that there was a lack of depth of, of sports lawyers in Malaysia. And uh, at the same time, there are many sports associations and athletes in Malaysia, and in fact for this region, they were not aware that they require legal advice uh, to ensure that their rights are protected, both uh, the, the athletes and the association. And then there's a third party in this uh, equation, which is the sponsors. Uh, they also need to have their rights protected. But most of the time, the sponsors are protected. They have proper lawyers doing that. So we thought last year we'll, we'll do an experimental conference. It worked. Uh, we had about uh, 80 delegates, uh, all association uh, leaders, uh, the Minister of Youth and Sport uh, endorsed it, sent a rep, uh, rep gave a speech, uh, sports commissioner came, very good. So this year we thought we'll go international. Uh, we've managed to uh, invite Chris from Everton, uh, well, uh, partly because I'm an Everton fan, so you thank, you, thank you to Everton. <laughs> uh, we've got a few other speakers from Australia, uh, from Singapore, and more importantly, we've got speakers from Malaysia. Uh, we've got Court of Appeal judge coming tomorrow and a few Malaysian lawyers to speak and share about uh, the future of sports law, what we can do to push sports law. And I always feel, before I pass the mic back to you, that if sports law is well regulated and well run in Malaysia, eventually sports will be well managed too. You know, I'm just thinking we should talk about the future of sports full stop in Malaysia. Um, <laughs> before we come to the sports law, um, a lot more has to be done as far as sports is concerned. But sports law is a complicated practice area. We'll come back up next and find out more about how complicated it can get. If you have a question for Chris Anderson, uh, Head of Legal Services, Everton Football Club, or Richard Wee, um, a partner of Richard Wee and Yip, send it through at 016-201-9000 or tweet BFM Radio. A vibration strikes the eardrum. A tingle. Brain recognizes signal. Heart races. Lips part. Agape for three seconds. It is the key of G minor. Acoustics are better heard when seen. Malaysian Philharmonic Orchestra. Live. Choose five concerts for 20% of your total purchase. Concert schedule and details. Visit mpo.com.my. Business. Finance and more. BFM 89.9. Good afternoon. It's The Bigger Picture and I'm Mira Sivisodhi. We have Chris Anderson, Head of Legal Services from Everton Football Club and Richard Wee, who's a partner at Richard Wee and Yip. We're discussing um, sports law. In particular, um, Chris is presenting a paper tomorrow at the, um, let me pull it out now, it's the RWY Sports Law Conference at Kuala Lumpur. Um, and Richard is talking about uh, sports law, financial fair play and transfer dealings in particular. Um, there are loopholes in uh, the financial fair play role, uh, rules. Would you agree, Richard? Um, Chris? I suppose it, it, I'm struggling a little bit because it, 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 there's a question of whether by loophole you mean a, a sort of clever legal way to get round it exactly. or specific 
specific things that are excluded from the rules by design. No, a clever way of how you can use it to your advantage. Gladly, I haven't had to consider it at Everton because we're well within the rules, so it's not an issue that that has come up for me as yet. Mm-hmm. Who so, implements financial fair play rules? It's a combination. It's it's the people who org- effectively it's the people who organise the the competition that you as a club participate in. So, to the extent that it's the English Premier League financial fair play rules. It's a matter for the regulators of the English Premier League and the the, 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 the Premier League itself. Um, to the extent it is the UEFA rules, if you are participating in a UEFA competition, it's it's UEFA who who organise that um, through what's called their um, club financial control body, um, which is a, a, a... They have two chambers. They have an investigatory chamber and an adjudicatory chamber. Um, and they largely do what it sounds like. The investigatory chamber investigates uh, potential breaches and the, the adjudicatory chamber um, passes judgment on, on, on those breaches. Uh, but there's some significant players on those, on those committees. Um, for example, Eric Riley, who um, is a former... Uh, who's a currently a director and I think former chairman of, of, of Celtic Football Club in Scotland. He was also a vice-governor of the, the, the Bank of England... So he's a he's a kind of football man, but a real kind of Finance you know, financial well. heavyweight. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, do you think that these rules will lessen the appeal of football football clubs as financial investments? It it depends what someone wants to get out of it. In terms of an in, an investment to purely make money, uh, I suppose yes. Um, if it is uh, an, an extremely rich person who wants the who's got the yacht and has got the Ferrari and has got everything else and, and wants a kind of trophy, then you know, those, those, those kind of investors will, will still get that from, uh, from investing in a club. Latest figures have cited in media reports and the estimate that Real Madrid's debts are almost £500, um, pounds, £500 million. That's about £2.7 billion ringgit. How did they manage to stay, stay clear of FFP? I'm afraid I'm not across the financial figures for Real Madrid. Um, all I can assume is that they, uh, I mean, they are a they are a massive club, so they will they will get a large amount of revenue. Um, and in Spanish football, they control their own. Each club controls its own media rights um, and selling of its own television matches. So Real Madrid can realise a very large sum of money from that. Uh, whereas in in England, for example, we we collectively sell the, the 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 TV rights, which means that in the Premier League we have one of the the sort of smallest differences in football between the 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 money awarded to the team that finishes top and the money awarded to the the the, the team that finishes bottom. Okay, and so what else can football clubs actually commercialise? Well, it used to be that football clubs would talk about um, three sources of three sources of revenue. First of all, um, fans coming to matches, um, second of all, commercial sales, uh, and third of all, television revenues. Um, and about 10 years ago, um, my chief executive tells me that, that, that financial analysts talked about the split of a third, a third, a third between those. Um, I suppose the thing that's, that's changed more recently, certainly in English football, is the, the, the size of television revenues, um, which certainly in, in, in Everton's case are, are significantly higher than our commercial or, 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 or fan-generated revenue. Are penalties sufficiently harsh? 
in terms of the UEFA yes. penalties. As far as FFP rules are concerned. I think we'll have to see how this season plays out to know that one. Certainly, the the clubs that were hit with penalties last season have have made noises that they've been restricted this season in 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 what they can do um, by virtue of those penalties. But equally, if at the end of those se- this season those clubs are winning their leagues and winning the Champions League and, or the Europa League, then um, you, you know you may fairly conclude that, that, that the penalties aren't aren't harsh enough. Okay. And um, do you think the FFP rules have impacted transfer dealings across Europe? I think so. Yes, um, uh, certainly. I mean, that 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 to me seemed to be at the 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 core of of Jose Mourinho's criticism. I think uh, Chelsea were were significantly outspent during the the course of the summer by um, other clubs. Um, and actually, in in fairness to Chelsea, um, they more than balanced their books by the players they they sold. Um, so I think that 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 kind of approach is perhaps a, a consequence of, of financial fair play. Why is it um, some some clubs haven't quite had long-term strategies in mind? What has been driving um, their, their what, what's been driving their objectives really at the end of the day? But as opposed to what Everton is doing, I yeah. mean, you said you mentioned you had long-term financial, uh, you had long-term strategies, and so you haven't. It does not FFP doesn't quite really affect you because you know you already have that foresight i mean i think it, it, it everton has had long-term strategies to function if, as effectively as it can as a football club um and uh, it, i think it comes from having a chairman who is a committed and passionate fan of the club you know everton is very much focused around being a football club and and, and achieving football results um and the structures at Everton weren't really about financial fair play. They were about operating in the, the, the best way to deliver success for, for Everton Football Club. So I, I wouldn't want to, to suggest to your readers that we were, we were plotting and planning for financial fair play for years. Mm-hmm. It's certainly not the, certainly not the case. Um, in terms of the, the clubs that were, that were penalised, the, the, the difficulty that we have in knowing exactly what went wrong if, if you excuse that phrase, is that the procedure whereby those punishments were imposed was under what UEFA call a, uh, a settlement arrangement, um, which was something that was introduced by UEFA, I think, because they realised the level of the number and level of court cases that would result if you went through the normal channels of resolving a dispute in football, you know, court of arbitration for sport, all that kind of stuff. Um, so they said to these clubs, they essentially offered a settlement and said, here's, here's the punishment. If you accept that, sign this and we'll move on. Um, but that meant that there wasn't a public judgment detailing, you know, what, what happened at Paris Saint-Germain, for example, that led to the, the punishment imposed by UEFA. Okay, and um, just coming back to um, sports law, it seems to be a complicated area, um, Chris. Is it really? Yes, I, I, I always describe it to people. Um, it's it's like normal law and recognisable legal concepts, but looked at through a funhouse mirror mm-hmm. that distorts the picture and makes <laughs> it look bigger or makes it look like it's coming from a funny angle. Yeah. Um, you know, normal legal principles operate in sports but operate in 
odd ways. Um, and actually, aside from that, when you when you drill down, certainly from a, from an English football club perspective, into the the, the legal and regulatory situation, um, for example, at, at Everton, we, we are obviously subject to English law. Um, there is, we're, you know, England is a member of the European Union, so European Union law affects us sometimes. Um, we are a member of the Football Association of England. They have rules. We're a member of the FA Premier League. They have rules. We are competing this season uh, very successfully, I'm happy to say, in the UEFA Europa League. UEFA have rules. Um, on top of that, certain aspects of the operation of football clubs, mainly uh, transfers, are governed by the rules of FIFA. So you've got that, that full set. Um, and, and from an English perspective, because UEFA and FIFA are Swiss bodies, Swiss law can sometimes affect what we're doing as well. So a number of legal systems, a number of different sets of, of rules and regulations that, that, that can impact our day-to-day operations. So it is, uh, it, it, it is, it is quite complex. But are they in conflict at any time? They are not always easy to plot a way through, certainly. Um, you know, get the the. the uh, I suppose I'd give you an example if that helps of mm-hmm. of, of young players. Um, if you want to recruit a young player, um, you, your starting point is is the FIFA, the FIFA regulations on the international, uh, FIFA regulations on the status and transfer of players. Bit of a mouthful, um, and they prohibit anyone under the age of eighteen transferring um, internationally except for three situations. Uh, Firstly, that the player's parents have moved to the new country for reasons not linked to football. Secondly, uh, broadly, that the the move is within the territory of the EU um, and the club that they're going to uh, offers a sufficient standard of training and education. And finally, uh, what's called the border exception, which is not really relevant to Everton, but, but, but... does affect, say, some clubs in Belgium or France, um, and the way that operates is 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 if the player lives within fifty kilometres of a border, and the club he wants to join is within fifty kilometres of the other side of the border, mm-hmm. then 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 that's okay. Um, so there's there's your start point in terms of can you recruit a young player. You're then looking at it from a UK perspective at, at, at our immigration rules if they're not an EU citizen. Um, and those are, are you know, a, a, a complex and, and sometimes difficult um, set of, uh, of, of legal rules to, to plot your way through. Um, you then have rules of the Premier League about how what type of contract a player can sign depending on his age. So we have students who are under 16. 16-year-olds are, are on what's called a scholarship contract once they're 17, they can be a professional. But because they're 17, they can't sign a five-year contract. They can only sign a three-year contract, and that's a FIFA rule. Um, so, I, I mean, I could go on and on and yeah. on. But you know, that's one example, recruitment of young players, where it all, yeah. you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of moving parts. So yeah. it's, it's, it's it, you know, plotting a way through is, 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 is a skill. It is. <laughs> I would say that, though. Um, you know, Richard, I know in terms of sports law, you, you practice it. Um, are our laws um, all-encompassing? Well, Malaysia at the moment, um, we've always had strong laws. But sports law, I think, um, 
is still in the infancy. Uh, not for the lack of trying, but I think more of a lack of awareness. I think the system in sports, uh, they're not aware that uh, certain occasions, they actually require legal uh, advice. Um, and, and Chris hit the spot. Uh, because in Malaysia, similarly, uh, there are many layers of rules and laws which govern uh, different different bodies. One of the biggest issues with sports is that we have so many stakeholders. Uh, unlike a, a country, so if you go and do a business in Philippines, you only deal with the law of Philippines all over that country. Uh, but when you are trying to bring over a basketball player from Philippines, then you have so many rules to go through in order to bring that import player to play for our club here. So um, it's it's interesting. Uh, I think most Malaysian lawyers are equipped to do it. And at our conference tomorrow, we have uh, about, I think, 50 lawyers attending to, to, to innovate, to learn, and also, I guess, uh, to have a network tomorrow. What are uh, you presenting, Chris? Well, I'm going to do uh, about half an hour, 45 minutes on the UEFA financial fair play rule, set out the background, um, give some sort of stats and figures, uh, and then take uh, the delegates through how it operates in in, in, in UEFA um, circles, uh, and then go over, I suppose, some of the, the criticisms of it that we've touched on today before finishing off on the, the, the future of financial fair play, which I think most people expect to be a number of, of legal challenges to it under, under European Union law, uh, one of which has already started, uh, one commissioned by an, uh, an agent called Daniel Striani, who is uh, challenging the rules under... Uh, I, I think he, he made a complaint to the European Commission... Uh, which regulates uh, competition in, in, in the European Union. Um, and he's also launched a case in the, the Belgian courts, um, but that is generally perceived to be a, uh, a kind of route to the European Court of Justice because in the, in the EU you can't necessarily file a case at the European Court of Justice. An issue has to be referred to it by uh, the national courts of a member state. So he, he, he has started the... The first legal challenge, um, and has recruited uh, the the lawyer who uh, represented uh, Jean-Marc Bosman in the the nineteen ninety five case, which completely changed the transfer market. It did. Would you would you want to just briefly tell me what that was? Um, the legacies of Bo- Bosman is um, wage inflation. Actually, what was that case about? Yeah, Bosman Bosman was a was a uh, a kind of lower level professional player who had wanted to move from one club to another across a national border within the European Union, um, and was prevented from from doing so by his, I suppose, existing or previous club, um, and he successfully challenged that. That whole system under the the rights that are given to all European citizens in the European Charter um, on uh, free movement. Um, we are, as European Union citizens, supposed to be able to move freely among the countries of the European Union and to find work and to go wherever yeah. we we want to go. And and he used those laws to 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 challenge the transfer system. Yeah. And he won, didn't he? He did. He did. So that's going to be an interesting case to look out for. Um, the guy who actually, the person who actually led that case for um, Bosman. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, where do you see the future of FFP? Well, 
it's interesting. UEFA have have cited some statistics that say it's working. Um, they, from my perspective as a as a club lawyer, the most interesting one is the reduction in in what they call overdue payables. I think UEFA are claiming a seventy three percent reduction, um, and overdue payables are essentially money that clubs owe each other for transfers, um, and. In fairness to UEFA, there was an issue there um, because the we were all required to use on international transfers the system set up by FIFA, the world governing body of the FIFA dispute resolution chamber. But that is a is a very very slow body. Uh, you know, it can take years to get a get a, a judgment from it, and a lot of clubs in certain countries were using that to their advantage by refusing to pay. Um, knowing that it would take a significant amount of time before um, they would get the judgment against them from FIFA. Um, and UEFA's rules have changed that dynamic in that uh, if you are dealing with a club on the other side that owes you money, that wants to play in Europe, you can threaten them several times a season with reporting it to UEFA and, and ultimately that might stop them getting a, a licence to play in a UEFA competition next right. year. Mm-hmm. So that is, a, that is an extra tool in the arsenal of, of, of club lawyers and, and one that's been, been, been helpful, certainly from my perspective. Um, in terms of the, the, the longer term impact of, of financial fair play, it's, it's, it's difficult to know. Um, it, it may well be that it, it reduces club losses and clubs become more financially sustainable. Um, but it may also be, uh, 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 it may also result in reducing competition, um, and there would then, I suppose, be a question of would action need to be taken if, if you know, the major competitions in European football were were just being passed from from one club to another, yeah. and and you know, a, a Manchester City of the future. Uh, or, or you know an Everton of the future, if we there's any uh, billionaires who buy the football club, um, an Everton of the future would be prevented from from sort of gate crashing the party, so to speak. Right. Okay. Um, how do we get in touch for the conference tomorrow? Is it still open, or is it uh, only eligible for the lawyers? Oh, it's open, uh, Mira. We anybody can contact uh, my colleague Leslie Lim. Um, at uh, at the email address on our website, you can check our website at triple uh, or our, our blogspot, which is uh, richardwigib.blogspot. Um, and other than lawyers, we'll have uh, sports association attending. AFC is coming tomorrow. FAM will be there. The players' football, uh, uh, the footballers' uh, uh, association will also be there. And many other sports associations. Yeah, they're quite, and even merchant bankers are coming tomorrow. Okay. Uh, so it's quite a big and diverse crowd. Interesting. So the RWI Sports Law Conference tomorrow at the Kuala Lumpur Regional Centre of Arbitration, which is apparently a new space yes, um, across is. the road from Majestic Hotel, if you're wondering. Um, just log on to the website and I'm sure you'll get more details from there. Gentlemen, thank you very much for thank enlightening me. Thank you, Mira. Football. Yeah, thank you for having me. <laughs> you're most welcome. That was Chris Anderson, Head of Legal Services, Everton Football Club, and Richard Wee, a partner of Richard Wee and Yip on The Bigger Picture, BFM 89.9. When internet downtime interrupts your business you lose business and when you lose business you don't make money thank you for listening to this podcast to find more great interviews go to bfm.my or find us on itunes bfm 89.9 the business station